0: Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at WinBet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome to the Fitz on Fantasy Podcast Episode 3. I'm your host, Pat Fitzmorris. You can find my fantasy football articles and my player rankings at thefootballgirl.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. I'm delighted that you have found your way to this humble podcast, and I beseech you to subscribe to it on iTunes, and also to find it in your heart to rate and review it. Doing so would really help out this fledgling show a great deal. And I would be forever in your debt if you took the time to give us a rating and a review. Now, speaking of rating and reviewing the show, last week I asked you to do just that in order to be entered into a drawing for a coveted spot in the 8th annual Scott Fishball, a 900-person fantasy league that includes a who's who of the fantasy football media. The Scott Fishbowl also does a lot of good. It's a charity league that benefits fantasy pairs, which Scott Fish founded to buy toys for underprivileged kids at Christmas time. And Scott Fish was my guest last week. He was kind enough and generous enough to let me give away a Scott Fish Bowl 8 entry to one lucky listener. Ever since you started hearing the sound of my voice, I'm sure you've been thinking, all right, Jerkwad, get to it. Now, without further ado, it is time to announce the winner of that drawing. And the winner into the Fish Bowl 8 is Levi Andrew. Congratulations, Levi. You will now be entered into the Fish Bowl and will receive an invitation from Scottfish himself. Drafting for the Fish Bowl starts on Monday, July 9th, so it's just around the corner. Levi, please draft a good team and make us all proud. And to everyone else who entered the drawing, I want to thank you for taking the time to rate and review the podcast. And remember, Scott invites hundreds of fans into the league every year. He can't possibly invite everyone who wants to play. But in order to have a chance to get into next year's Scott Fishball, go to the Scott Fishball homepage and sign up. Scott likes to remind people on Twitter, to get in, the first thing you have to do is sign up. So go to the homepage, sign up, and you will at least have a chance to get in next year. Now, my guest this week is going to be Mr. Michael Beller of SI.com, the online home of Sports Illustrated. Beller is the lead fantasy writer over at SI.com, and I urge you to follow him on Twitter, at M, the letter M, Beller, B-E-L-L-E-R. And uh, Michael is also a very good friend of mine. In fact, we were podcast partners two years ago in SI.com, a weekly fantasy football podcast. And now back then... Beller did the driving, and I was simply riding shotgun in the passenger seat, and with good reason. Beller has a marvelous voice. In fact, after torturing you with my teeny voice, I feel like I owe it to you to offset it with a deep, rich, mellifluous baritone. So that's what you're going to get today. Beller really knows his fantasy football, so we're going to have some rankings talk today. We're also going to do a deep dive into the Chicago Bears since Beller and I are both Chicago residents and since Beller is a lifelong Bears fan. And we might just squeeze in some other subjects too. So uh, what do you say we get to it? Now let's bring in our guest for this week's show. Once again, he is Michael Beller, the fantasy sports editor at SI Now, the online home of Sports Illustrated. And it was just announced that fantasy football content will also now be appearing on the MMQB Sports Illustrated satellite NFL website that was launched by Peter King a few years ago. So Beller is going to be a big part of that. You can follow him on Twitter at M So good to have you here,
0: Mr. Beller. What's up, my man? Oh, Fitz, thanks for having me, man. Great to talk to you. Uh, you know, it's uh, summertime in, in Chicago where we both live. It's uh, it's beautiful, man. I'm uh, enjoying it and already ready for this football season to get here, even as great as uh, the sports world has been around us in other places.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, so we'll probably annoy a few people by jumping in on the World Cup for just a minute or two. If you hate soccer, uh, skip ahead about three minutes I understand some of you have cast your lot exclusively with tackle football and don't care to see Neymar writhing around on the ground like he's in the throes of demonic possession, even though he's completely faking injury. But, hey, a lot of people are really into it, and it's been a pretty phenomenal tournament so far. Uh, Insane open-ended question here, but what about the World Cup has stood out to you so far? Memorable moments, performances,
0: letdowns? What sort of jumps out? Oh, man, I feel like this is like... A little bit of recency bias, uh, but that Japan Belgium game, that Japan Belgium second half. If you if you are someone who who was tempted to skip at three minutes, but is, has decided to stick with us through this discussion, maybe watch the second half of Japan Belgium and, and then give soccer a chance because that was just a phenomenal forty five minutes, forty eight minutes, or whatever it was uh, of uh, of sports action. Regardless of what your procl- proclivities might be going into it, just furious action up and down the pitch five goals scored I mean I will remember regardless of what happens over the next couple of weeks that we still have left in this that is going to be I think one of the games of the tournament
1: yeah who would have thought Japan would have been involved in the game of the tournament and just to have right just to have Belgium on the ropes like that and Belgium is such a fantastic team but um you know and to have it come down to that the final minutes of injury time the final minute of injury time Japan having a corner kick, looking like they might have a shot to end it, and then Belgium just <laughs> the goalie triggering the fast break off the corner kick. They look like the uh, you know '83 Lakers on that play.
0: Absolutely beautiful. I love uh, seeing like the new teams. Uh, I love seeing the new teams that are involved too. Right, uh, Croatia here in the elite eight. Um, Belgium, a team that has flamed out in previous. International tournaments, despite all the, the, uh, the talent that they have on their side, them into the final eight and uh, looking pretty dangerous to go a couple of rounds deeper. Uh, it's always fun, even though we only get this every four years or if you want to throw the Euros in every two years, stuff like this. Uh, it's fun to see some new blood involved and some new blood have realistic chance of winning this thing. It is. Now, I know you're in a World Cup pool and I'm in a couple of them myself.
1: Are you in contention in your pool? Who are your teams?
0: Yeah, I'm in contention in uh, I'm in three different ones. Two of them are the same, where we had to pick the group stage, uh, take our points, carry over, and then fill out the bracket. Uh, the other one that I am in, I, I stole the format from you, uh, having a, a, a snake draft with. Uh, I know you have it with uh, sixteen people. Mine's with eight, so we each got four teams, uh, and I've got uh, I had the eighth pick out of eight, but my first two picks at eight and nine were Uruguay and Croatia. So they are, uh, they're looking pretty good for me, definitely have me in contention. And I also, uh, the 3-4 turn, uh, one of my picks was Japan. So out now, but they did plenty of damage uh, for me. If you told me at the start of that draft that Japan would end up giving me as many points as they did, the uh, uh, very w- much would have taken that. So uh, very happy with what uh, those three picks have done for me to this point.
1: Right. Yeah, a lot of people have said to me that in a pool like that, you have to have a high pick. You have to have one of the powerhouses or you're going to be in it. But in our 16-teamer, the uh, person who's kind of running away with it right now has Russia and Sweden. And I think he got Russia with the 13th overall pick out of 16. So, uh, you know, not necessarily you don't have to have Brazil. You uh, definitely don't have to have Germany, which uh, their colossal crash (laughs) and burn was one of the more interesting elements of this tournament so far. Yeah, so anyway, Beller, all right. You non-soccer people, you can jump back in. It's safe to come back. Uh, Beller, I know you're a Bears fan being born and raised in the Chicago area. I want to get your fans' eye perspective on the team and with a fantasy spin, of course. Now, as a Packer fan living here in the Chicago area behind enemy lines, I've had it pretty good for the last couple of decades. The Bears have been a pretty sad sad sack outfit for most of my time as a Chicago resident. (laughs) But this, this is the first time in quite a while that I've actually been kind of nervous about the Bears appearing to be on the right track. Um, Ryan Pace seems to know what he's doing as a general manager. He's made some pretty solid moves with the possible exception of the curious decision not to tempt Cameron Meredith and keep him off the free agent market. Uh, But Pace made a big progressive head coaching hire with Matt Nagy, who was Andy Reid's offensive coordinator in Kansas City. Uh, The Bears finally have some pass-catching talent. The jury is just beginning deliberations on Mitch Trubisky, but there's at least reason to hope that they found their quarterback of the future. Offensive line looks solid. The secondary, which had been just an accident site for years, suddenly looks like an area of strength. Defensive front seven has a lot of talent. Maybe you're not able to be as objective as I am about this, but do you feel the same way? Like the Bears might possibly even have an
0: outside chance this year to playoff berth, uh, you know, despite how low the NFC is. Yeah, I definitely think that. I think um, I think the talent on the roster uh, is maybe a maybe maybe it's hard to say top twelve uh, in the NFL uh, going into the season. I think it certainly has that ceiling. I think the one thing that really could hold them back in terms of making the playoffs is not only the NFC, but the division. I think Green Bay and Minnesota are the two best teams in the NFC at the start of the season. Detroit, uh, not quite as bullish on them, but certainly not a pushover of a team. So you look up and down the NFC North and no matter which one of those teams you are, none of your six games is a gimme. So that could be something I think that really ends up holding the Bears back. The nice thing is that uh, you can have realistic playoff hopes, maybe not get there, but go 8-8 eight and eight and still feel really good about the season you had and the direction uh, in which you are headed. And I think a lot of it does have to do uh, with the offense, which, of course, in the fantasy world, we're a little bit more concerned with. Um, I love the hire of Matt Nagy, uh, both from real life and fantasy perspective. I really think he's going to find ways to open up this offense, uh, do things with, with uh, Tariq Cohen that John Fox uh, never would have considered. Uh, you can give John Fox another 100 years of coaching football, and I don't think he would come up with anything for Tariq Cohn like we are going to see uh, Nagy do for him this year. And, and what I really like about the Bears, uh, you know, from a fantasy perspective, is that we talk about so many teams, uh, and I'm not putting the Bears with these teams anywhere near these teams, uh, but just to sort of illustrate what I'm discussing here uh, the Steelers, the Saints, uh, the Patriots, teams that give us these multiple avenues of investment. Uh, About which we can be excited. It's not just a a one or two man team. And I think with Cohen, with Jordan Howard, who I can't believe the lack of love that's out there for him after what he's done the last two seasons, Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller, the rookie, and Trubisky, uh, I really think that there are a lot of good ways to get invested in what might be uh, a really strong offense this season. Right. Yeah.
1: Last year was pretty much just running back and, um, you know, Howard and whether or not Cohen was going to contribute as you said uh you know giving cohen to john fox was just like giving i think i wrote it in an article it was like giving a caveman an iphone there was just no idea of what to do with this instrument and you know he used cohen early a couple of games and then just kind of completely forgot him and it was uh it was really strange the you know staccato usage of him so um with the running backs there does seem to be a fade Jordan Howard sentiment out there within the fantasy community. Do you think his role could be diminished in this new system sort of at the expense of Cohen or um you know do you think sort of the rising tide lifts all boats in this offense and that you know with the Bears maybe visiting the red zone a little bit more often that Cohen's touchdown upside could sort of offset any usage slippage.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm more uh I'm more in the latter camp. Um I, I really don't think we're going to see Uh, Jordan Howard fall off too much. I think that maybe you do see um, a slight decline in his uh, carry total because of uh, the sort of the changing attitudes uh, in the offense, but I don't think we're going to see much of a drop off in his carry share. Uh, 250 carries in 2016, 275 last year. I wouldn't be shocked to see those numbers come down just a little bit, but I still think as good as Tariq Cohen can be and as explosive as a player as we know he is, I think this is still strongly Jordan Howard's backfield in terms of him being the team's primary runner without question. I mean, you look back at the Bears' teams the last two years, uh, the team as a whole and the offense specifically, not exactly the greatest environment for a running back in fantasy leagues. And still, Jordan Howard putting up huge numbers. we talking about a guy... With 2,400 rushing yards in his career, 15 touchdowns. I don't think that, you know, because Matt Nagy definitely has a different uh, offensive system and a different scheme and a different way of looking at offense generally and specifically for this era than John Fox ever did, that that automatically means that, you know, we're getting rid of this sort of traditional running back that Jordan Howard is and going, you know, full Tariq Cohen. I think we're going to see more of a almost uh, maybe Kareem Hunt. Tyreek Hill breakdown of what uh, uh, Nagy had in Kansas City. And of course, Tyreek Hill, more receiver than running back, a different style of player than Tariq Cohen. But I think we can see sort of that breakdown between the two where Howard, Howard sort of takes over that Kareem Hunt not quite as good a receiver role, and Tariq Cohn takes over a Swiss Army knife role that uh, Tyreek Hill had with Nagy in Kansas City. I don't think that uh, Jordan Howard's value is going to suffer really one bit, and, and the fact that he is you know tumbling down draft boards, maybe a, a full round or half a round behind where his uh, first two years would suggest a player like him would be makes him really one of my favorite targets in sort of that, what, late second, early third, uh, even into the mid third round uh, spot where we're seeing him come off the board in early drafts.
1: Yeah. People might be fading him a little bit too much. I, I do wish that he had at least some hope as a pass catcher I and mean, you just watch him fight the ball and it just does not look pretty. And I, I wonder if there's any potential to kind of fix uh, his mechanical issues catching the ball. But um you know, there, there is a chance with the overall outlook improving for this offense. I mean, maybe he can punch in double-digit touchdowns, and then even if the receptions aren't there, people are going to be pretty happy with the overall, this see takeaway that you get for drafting him. Um, now, what's your take on Trubisky from a fantasy perspective? I know you're bullish, uh, and so am I, actually. I think he's top 20 for me also. With Nagy and uh, Mark Helfrich opening up the offense, what do you think this is? Where do you have him ranked?
0: So uh, Trubisky is someone who I feel pretty comfortable as a uh, you know mid-tier QB2, just inside my top 20. I don't think you have to go any higher than that if you want to secure his services in a draft. I do think the ceiling is quite a bit higher than that just because of uh, what he showed and the limited opportunities he was given last year. I think... Uh, you can look at what Nagy did in Kansas City. You can look at what uh, he specifically designed for Alex Smith. And you can, you know, sort of take what Mitch Trubisky showed uh, with the Bears last year and find a pretty easy way to sort of slide Trubisky into that Alex Smith spot. Now, I say limited opportunity. Trubisky started 12 games, so not necessarily that limited, at least in terms of games played, but very limited in what the offense was, what John Fox and Dowell Loggins both allowed him to do and asked him to do. And we're going to see the reins really come off uh, in this Matt Nagy offense uh, for Mitch Trubisky. And what you like about him, no question at all about a couple of things, I think. I, I think uh, uh, his ability to get outside the pocket and make plays on his own and his ability to throw on the run. And, you know, if you look at what Alex Smith did last year and the, the principles that – Uh, Andy Reid and Matt Nagy instilled in that offense. I think we're going to see them, or try to. We're going to see Nagy, excuse me, uh, bring a lot of those things to Chicago. It's really a question of whether Trubisky can handle those principles, and I think that he showed us enough last year, and certainly his price is uh, palatable enough this year to take what really is a pretty minimal risk, uh, given what the reward could be if he even you know reaches. 75 or 80 percent of what this offense and what he can do uh within it
1: yeah having having this system built around him having the infusion of pass catchers the fact that he runs a little bit I mean not a run first quarterback by any means he's not going to be mistaken for Lamar Jackson but you know he can and will run so that also adds some value uh now about the pass catchers I've I've pretty pretty much been all in on Allen Robinson in early drafts. And apparently my belief that he's a top 15 receiver is a minority opinion uh, because I'm just getting him all over the place without too much of a fight. Uh, What do you think? Is his reportedly slow recovery from the knee injury a concern? Do you think he's going to be a target hog in this offense? Or do you think multiple guys are going to see a lot of targets? Where do you have uh, A-Rob ranked as of now?
0: You know, when I first started... Ranking, um, you know, a couple what six weeks ago or so, uh, I had him as uh, as my number ten receiver. I will admit that I am getting a little concerned uh, about the reports that his knee is still you know coming along, and they're already saying things. I mean, not, I guess not already training camp's not too far away, but saying things like we expect him to be uh, ready to go for training camp at this stage of the game with a guy coming off an ACL tear. That's not even though the Bears sound hopeful, it's not exactly what you want to hear. So as we sit here on July 3rd, I've bumped him down just a couple of spots, but you know rankings are very fluid at this part of the summer. Uh, things can move around very easily. And if he shows us uh, in training camp and in the exhibition season uh, that he is back to uh, what he was pre-injury, then I do think he's a top 10, top 12 receiver, a low-end one, high-end two. And I don't think there's a ton of risk In him either, assuming that he shows us that then he's healthy. I really think that um, the targets are going to be there for him. I'm not sure he's going to be a target hog. I don't think we're going to see him rack up 150 targets. I don't think we're going to see uh, 2017 DeAndre Hopkins target numbers for Allen Robinson. I think they like Anthony Miller too much, and I think they're going to want to get the backs involved too much for him to be that brand of target hog. But I do think that we could see him put a bigger target numbers than he ever did in Jacksonville. I think we could see him at the 120, 130 mark. And if you take a player like that and an offense like this and give him that much opportunity, to me, it's pretty hard for him not to almost, you know, fall backwards into at least a a high end two seasons. So the health is a a question, I think. But once we get the thumbs up on that, I think it's all systems go for Allen Robinson.
1: Yeah, 130 targets for A-Rob running the sort of vertical routes he runs on uh, such a high percentage of the the time uh, could be pretty lucrative from a fantasy standpoint. And, you know, I'm not too worried about the injury that they went easy on him in mini camps. I mean, the guy's coming off an ACL tear, mini camp, there's really no reason to push things. Uh, and it's going to be almost a full calendar year pretty much by the time week one rolls around. So i you know, I'm not ready to fade him based on injury concerns yet. Uh, so, and since, you know, I've already gotten several shares in MFL tens, uh, (laughs) yeah, I, I just think, yeah, pretty much. I just think he has been a buying opportunity and he seems like he's always there around the, uh, third round, fourth round turn. And that's to me a point where I'm more than happy to grab him. Uh,
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more there. I mean, you, you, you look at the other guys who are in that range, and it's pretty easy to make an upside case for him compared with all those other guys. You also certainly feel good about whatever your roster looks like to that point. It feels like a very acceptable risk.
1: Yeah. How about some of the secondary targets like Trey Burton? You mentioned Anthony Miller. How many guys can this offense support? Is Burton a top 10 tight end for you? Is Miller a guy who's draftable in an average size, 12-team,
0: 16-man roster league? Yeah, so I I actually like Miller better than Burton uh, if we're talking about their ADPs and what they can be. I really think that Anthony Miller is going to be a player. Um, One thing I like to say is that teams will tell you a lot about what they think about a player based on how they acquire them. Uh, and Ryan Pace has proved to us that he is not uh, shy about being aggressive in really any sort of player acquisition style. Uh, certainly the draft, we knew that already with Mitch Trubisky. Uh, but to see a team like this that you know doesn't necessarily feel like it's coming into the season just a player away, give up uh, a second-round pick next year, a fourth-round pick this year, I mean, pretty good assets to move all the way up 50 whatever spots they did to get Anthony Miller. I, I think that tells you that this this front office and this coaching staff really likes him and really expects him to be a player right away for them. Huge numbers at Memphis. I just really think that there is a ton of upside in him, uh, in the player he can be, in what um, uh, Nagy will design for him. And you talk about Tariq Cohen being sort of a a, a Tyreek Hill player for the Bears. Anthony Miller can be that sort of guy too. I mean, we saw what he did uh, in space for Memphis, uh, a guy who they would use on a lot of screens, a lot of jet sweeps. Uh, get him the ball in space. Get some blockers in front of him, and and let him work his magic. Uh, there's some, I think there's some Tyree killing him too. I really think that he can be a player. Trey Burton for me, yeah, he's an athletic guy. Certainly, uh, you, you you look at Kansas City and you think, can he be a Travis Kelsey type? Obviously, it's not that easy. Uh, inhabiting a role in the offense is one thing. Actually, being as good as Travis Kelsey, a completely different thing. For me, Trey Burton is on the radar because of what the tight end position is and what the, the back end of the tight end one and the high end of the t- tight end two class looks like. You can paint a uh, an upside picture for him. But if I'm targeting a late-round bear, a late-round pass catcher bear, for me, it's Anthony Miller 10 times out of 10.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and Burton, you know, I, I don't think Adam Shaheen can be completely written off. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I think Burton is certainly more – I don't know. It seems like he's going to fit Nagy's scheme a little bit better. But uh, the fact that they did invest pretty significant draft capital in Shaheen sort of gives me a little bit of pause on Burton. Uh, You know, I do think back end tight tight end one seems about right. But, um, you know, I'm not sure that you can just draft Burton and think that you're totally set at tight end and that you're never going to have to look
0: elsewhere for help at the position all year. I agree completely. Agree completely there. And and obviously, he was behind a a very good player in Zach Ertz during his time in Philadelphia. But uh, I also sort of lean toward, you know, guys in the league for four years. I would expect him, even with the competition, uh, even with a guy who's, you know, clearly ahead of him uh, in Zach Ertz, that you would break through in a little bit more meaningful of a way than Burton did. And I admit that that might be a little unfair to him, but. Again, not someone who I'm going to, uh, just because of uh, what we've seen from him in limited uh, work and uh, the offense and the role that we expect him to have, not someone who I'm totally willing to trust as my plug and play guy right from the get go.
1: Sure. I think that's fair. So let's uh, leave the NFC North for a second, Beller. Let's go to running back for a minute. We're still a month or so away from the heart of fantasy draft season. And. I think a lot of people are still sorting out the very top of their draft boards. Some people have Todd Gurley as their top ranked running back. Others have Le'Veon Bell number one. And I think there might be a little bit of a groundswell for Ezekiel Elliott just because he has the potential to be a usage monster. Uh, Then I think there's some uncertainty about how the running backs line up behind those three. So take me through your top five running backs, if you don't mind.
0: Yep, I've got them three as my top three for me. Bell one, Gurley two, Elliott three. Wouldn't argue... Very strongly uh, with some. I mean, I would argue strongly for Bell, but I wouldn't think you're crazy if you've got, you know, Gurley, Elliot, Bell, Gurley, Bell, Elliot, Elliot, Bell, Gurley. I think you could really, you know, put those three guys in any order and make a strong case for that order being the correct one. Uh, for me, you know, we've seen um, Bell's done it year in year out. The only time that he hasn't done it has been injury. He, uh, if anyone is responsible for uh, this. Uh, Running back, uh, the prototypical back uh, of what we see today. If anyone's responsible for you know taking Marshall Falk out of the '90s and Ladanian Tomlinson out of the early 2000s and bringing that archetype of player to the current day and making it sort of the back that you have to have if you are going to have a workhorse back, it's Le'Veon Bell. And despite everything he's done to this point in his career and how long we've seen him, and we're talking about a guy who's still in his mid 20s. I mean, still a young guy. Uh, I think that. Gurley, Elliott, maybe they have uh, just as high. You can even make an argument, higher ceilings. But to me, Bell's ceiling is right there and definitely the safest floor. Le'Veon Bell has never let anyone down outside of injury. And for me, that's why I have him over Gurley and Elliott. After those guys, I do go David Johnson, four. And then Alvin Kamara squeaking out Saquon Barkley for my number five spot. Is
1: that a pretty close call for you, Kamara
0: versus Barkley? Oh, definitely. And if uh, if Mark Ingram weren't suspended for the first four games, uh, then I would have Barkley over Kamara. Uh, but I think he gets uh, a little bit more work in those four games. And then sort of an interesting thing, the Saints have a week six bye this year. So this is just speculation on my part, but it wouldn't surprise me to see them ease Ingram in in week five also, where you're not quite at the Kamara-Ingram of last year. You're still more at uh, maybe 80% Kamara and 20% Ingram. Then he gets the bye and then is full, fully ready to go week seven. So I think you could have five full weeks of Kamara basically having that backfield to himself. So that's what gets him over Barkley for me. Uh, but yeah, I've got those two guys very close, and I would be happy to have either one of them on any of my teams
1: compelled to ask you, since uh, you are a University of Wisconsin-Madison alumnus, and so am I, in fact. so.
0: Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, we are. So where do you put our boy (laughs) Melvin Gordon in your rankings? I've got him right there, after those two guys, right after Kamara and Barkley at number seven. Uh, Again, a guy who I get is not necessarily as explosive uh, as anyone above him, and you can make an argument that guys like Dalvin Cook and Kareem Hunt and Leonard Fournette are more explosive and have higher ceilings. Uh, but I mean, look at what Gordon's done in his career. Look at what he's done the last couple of seasons. Plays in an excellent offense with the Chargers. I think that could be, you know, another one of these offenses that you really want to find some sort of line of investment in. Gordon dominates work at the goal line. He proved last year he can be a weapon as a receiver. The yards per carry numbers aren't great. The efficiency hasn't been off the charts for him, but. Uh, we're talking about a true workhorse back in what might be an elite offense. Uh, I think there's no question about Melvin Gordon uh, as a late first-round pick. Uh, absolutely love uh, what he brings to the table this year.
1: Yeah, I think that the the sub 4.0 yards per carry number really spooks a lot of people. But mm-hmm. in, in fairness, I mean, his offensive line has not been good the last couple of years. Like I don't think he's ever run behind even an average offensive line. They've upgraded that unit this year. I think the game scripts could be a little better with the Chargers defense looking just potentially excellent with, you know, uh, Bosa, Ingram, um, Hayward, uh, Verrett. You know, it's just a, a potentially very good, you know, not maybe not quite Jacksonville level, but uh, on the tier below.
0: Oh, I've got them as my number one defense.
1: Oh, really? Ahead of? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, they're probably going to rack up more. They're going to rival the the Jaguars for sacks.
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: And, you know, that's going to put them in a position where maybe they don't have to throw as much. Maybe we see a little bit of what we saw with the Saints last year, where suddenly the defense just took this great leap forward. And all of a sudden, the Saints were kind of able to shift their offensive M.O. quite a bit and, and go from being pretty pass reliant to being sort of run heavy. Um so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about Gordon for this year. I, I think I have him eight right now, but I would encourage anyone who's sort of scared by those yardage per carry numbers that he's had his first couple of years in the league, uh, don't be afraid of him because you're getting a workhorse on a really good team who's going to be in some really good game scripts. So.
0: Austin Eckler, Justin Jackson, I mean, there's really no concern about what's behind him on the depth chart. I, I just, I don't see how Melvin Gordon is not, a slam dunk this season
1: right i mean you know injuries can derail any season but uh you know and and that's it like that's the only thing he's not going to lose his job on the merits all right beller now that i have your top five running backs i need your top five rolling stone songs you are quite (laughs) possibly the biggest stones fan i know so let's run through your list i'll run through mine and we'll see how they compare
0: I really hope that's how you like you talk about me and you, uh, you know, say like no, that's that should be my defining trait this biggest Stones fan, you know, because I'm very, very happy. That is a badge of honor if there ever was one. So I'm happy to have that first and foremost. Um, top five songs. So this is this is very hard uh, for me. You know, the Stones are one of those bands that I like too much to really have a top five. You know, my top five songs is like 17 songs deep, something like that. Uh, it's a lot easier to make a top five list for uh, a band that you're not necessarily a huge, just a band you like but don't necessarily love. Uh, you have a little bit less to choose from. But top five, if I really had to make one, uh, would read a little something like this and I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the Liberty fits if, if you're okay with it uh, of not putting them in any order, just sort of listing my five favorite. Uh, it's hard enough to get to five. It'd be even harder to get to you know a number one and a number two. So if you're cool with that, I'm just going to give you five. Does that work? Absolutely. All right. So uh, Dead Flowers is in that group for me. Uh, Definitely uh, just love the, uh, and they could have been the best country band in the world if they wanted to be, but they were just the kick-ass rock and roll band. Uh, But Dead Flowers uh, is definitely in the top five for me. Uh, Tumbling Dice is another top fiver for me. Just such a fun song. I've heard it a million times in my life, and it's still so fun every single time I hear it. uh, Rocks off. Uh, which I would argue is the best album opener uh, of any song of all time. Uh, first song off of Exile on Main Street and just punches you right in the face right at the start and doesn't let you go. Absolutely love that one. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Live With Me uh, off of Let It Bleed. Uh, it's a great song. It's also on the Get Your Yaya's Out, their live album and uh, live studio. Uh, just a, a really excellent song. Uh, And then number five, maybe a a bit of a a surprise for uh, some people, but uh, Loving Cup, uh, also off of Exile, Uh, something about a rock piano does a lot for me. Uh, And I'm I'm not talking like Elton John style piano, but a piano sort of underneath a, a true rock and roll song. I really love, uh, and yeah, I could have put any of the hits, uh, gimme shelter or "Jumpin' jack flash or, uh, sympathy for the devil. Uh, they're right there too, but I like to give a little bit of love, uh, to maybe some of the, the lesser known hits, uh, from the stone. So that's my five dead flowers, tumbling dice rocks off live with me loving cup.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah. We, so we have two instances of crossover on the top five, uh, tumbling dice and dead flowers are also my list. Um, you know, Sticky Fingers to me is the quintessential Stones album. I mean, they have so many great ones, mm-hmm. but to me that's just like flawless from beginning to end. And, uh, you know, Dead Flowers it sort of builds to a crescendo with Dead Flowers. And then there's sort of a nice little come down after that with uh, Moonlight Mile at the end. But um, I would also add Sway from that album, which I think is just fantastic. And, um, you know, it's hard to believe that at one point uh, – Keith Richards and Mick Taylor were both playing guitar on that band. Arguably, you know, two top 25 guitarists. And uh, Mick Taylor's outro on Sway is just unbelievable. Like this stunning piece of guitar playing. I would say Waiting on a Friend has to be on my list. Later era Stones, but... uh,
0: Oh, that's
1: a a little bit of a out of left field. Introduce a little saxophone. I mean, it's just like such a, a... Perfect song in a lot of ways. I just love the vibe of that song, and uh, you know, the the video is a classic too. <laughs> Mick and Keith together, uh, and then uh, walking down the street. That's right. And I got to close it with one sort of classic Stone song: "Let's Spend the Night Together." Um, listening to that one the other day, and just to hear the way that Charlie Watts drives that song. I mean, that's like maybe the most impressive Charlie Watts song in the entire Stones catalog. But as you said, I mean, just an unbelievable catalog. You know, we could talk Beatles versus Stones. I don't want to get into that because that is a podcast in itself. But um, you know, do not do not sleep <laughs> on the Rolling Stones because they have a deep and pretty incredible catalog.
0: So, all right, Bella. Yeah, you could. <laughs> we could have had this conversation tomorrow instead of today, and it would have been five completely different songs. So uh, just. Just the, the best band there, there ever was. And uh, if you ever want to have the Beatles-Stones conversation with me, I'd be happy to do it. But it would be pretty one-sided from my uh, perspective.
1: All right. Now, back <laughs> to fantasy football, in case people are getting annoyed with us for these digressions. Uh, now, what, one thing about your running back rankings that sort of stood out to me when I was looking at those. And uh, once again, we're here with Michael Beller. Find him on Twitter, at M. Beller. And you can find his articles and his rankings at SI.com, the online home of Sports Illustrated. So your top 300 player rankings are up. And, of course, those are also sortable by position. And one thing that jumped out when I saw your running back rankings was that you have Christian McCaffrey and C.J. Anderson adjacent to each other. Uh, That's standard rankings, I think, RB20 and RB21. Now, in PPR, of course, Christian McCaffrey is, uh, you know, that – Lifts him up a little bit, but not that much for you. RB sixteen, I believe. So you're clearly more pessimistic about McCaffrey
0: than most people are. Why are you somewhat down on him? This is a this is a spot where I I think we need uh, the summer to play out to really get some clarity between these two guys. Um, but generally, I think people are too down on C.J. Anderson. I mean, Christian McCaffrey is certainly a great player. Um, and a dangerous player and can really open up that Carolina offense in some interesting ways. But I don't understand why we should be looking at the breakdown in that backfield for him any differently this year uh, than what we, not what we thought last year, but we saw play out last year between him and Jonathan Stewart. And I would say that CJ Anderson 2018 is a much better player than 2017 Jonathan Stewart. So I wouldn't be shocked to see, I mean, people want, people want to talk about the bears I want to throw it back to that and Tariq Cohen eating too much into the, To Jordan Howard's load, I think C.J. Anderson could take some carries off the board for Christian McCaffrey. Uh, We know unless Ron Rivera has had a significant change of heart uh, in the last year that C.J. Anderson is going to dominate work inside the five. So I don't think we're going to see Christian McCaffrey scoop up any of those easy rushing touchdowns that uh, provide so much rushing value, especially in standard leagues. I just don't see why McCaffrey's outlook, especially in standard scoring, should be that much different this year than it was last year when he was a maddeningly inconsistent player. Uh, Even the best receiving backs in the league, you can't uh, count on that to carry their entire value in standard. I mean, look at what Alvin Kamara does, right? I mean, Alvin Kamara, a filthy receiving back, but supplements that with what he does on the ground. I don't have that same sort of hope for Christian McCaffrey this year with what C.J. Anderson – I mean, C.J. Anderson ran for 1,000 yards in very negative game script and very negative environment last year in Denver. Could be much, much better for him in Carolina next to Cam, the sort of holes that Cam opens up with his run threat. I just think that people are making too great of assumptions about what McCaffrey's role is going to be as a runner. And without that, I just can't have a ton of confidence in him in standard
1: leagues. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's an interesting point that you make about CJA, that he is uh, in most, I guess most people are sort of looking at him as a one-for-one replacement for Jonathan Stewart, but what if he isn't? What if he actually plays a larger role? Um, You know, certainly I think he's a little bit more capable as a pass catcher than Jonathan Stewart was. And, um, you know, it it would seem that he would be the go-to Back out of those two if they're down close to the goal line. Uh, that is, if Cam Newton d- doesn't just take it himself, as has so often been the case during his career. Um, and maybe the other thing with McCaffrey that people aren't considering, you know, last year he was sort of uh, forced targets in a way just because of the injury to Greg Olson. Uh, now Olson's back. Now DJ Moore is there. Now Funchess has actually established himself as a pretty credible pass catcher. So, uh, you know, I, I still think McCaffrey is going to catch his share of passes. It's hard to see him having any less than 70 receptions, but, uh, maybe the ceiling isn't quite as spectacular with, uh, you know, the receiving as some people might think. So I guess I can, I can get on board with that point of view. Um, now looking at your wide receiver rankings, it seems like you and I are pretty much on the same wavelength with most of these guys. So let's try kind of a rapid fire session with wide receivers from the same teams who are somewhat similarly ranked. Now I know you're a standard scoring advocate, but let's say this is half PPR. All right. <laughs> okay.
0: I guess I can do that for you.
1: That's a compromise for, our, I know there are <laughs> a lot of uh, staunch <laughs> PPR advocates out there. Beller and I are uh, traditionalists. We like standard scoring. We'll have to get our, our allies together in this war. Jake Seeley, Andy Behrens, uh some of the other guys who are, staunch standard scoring advocates but
0: for sure let's get a ballot referendum for 2018 in all 50 states
1: (laughs) that's right although in fairness i am sort of afraid about the way that one would come down for us so maybe it's better (laughs) it doesn't go to a referendum yeah we might
0: want to we might want to build a campaign for the next few years and then get it on a ballot (laughs)
1: exactly (laughs) all right so we'll do half ppr all right let's start with the vikings
0: stefan diggs or adam thielen uh, Diggs easy for me, and, and that's no knock on Thielen. I think Thielen's a really good player, but uh, I think Steph Diggs has been hinting at sort of a monster breakout for a couple of years now When he held back by quarterback situation before Case Keenum got there, uh, held back by uh, a couple of nagging injuries, held back a little bit by Adam Thielen being such a great uh, target last year. But um, you know, I don't think there's any question about uh, uh, what Diggs can do. Uh, Deep down the field, I think he's got that sort of uh, incisive route-running skills that even though he's not a huge guy, makes him a real threat in the uh, red zone, sort of like what we saw out of Jarvis Landry last year. Um, Pro Football Focus graded him as the number one receiver on contested balls, and I think Kirk Cousins is not going to put him in as many of those spots. I think maybe what uh, on plays where he maybe had to slow down and go up and make a contested catch for Case Keenum, Kirk Cousins is going to be hitting him in stride more often. I I just really think that... Everything's been building toward a breakout for Diggs, and I think we see it this year. I still have Adam Thielen ranked very highly, but I think we see Steph Diggs get into the top 10 wide receivers this season, whereas Adam Thielen, more of a top 20 guy.
1: Two terrific players. I'm with you. I have Diggs a little bit higher. Not very much air between the two in my rankings at all. But uh, you know, and, and in fairness, my guest last week, Scott Fish, a Minnesota resident and lifelong Vikings fan, he chose Adam Thielen in the combo. He thinks Thielen is the guy to own. So, But, uh, yeah, you know, I, Thielen is a very, very good receiver. I think Diggs is potentially special. So I'm with you on that one. Uh, staying in the division, Marvin Jones or Golden Tate?
0: I go Golden Tate here. I think Golden Tate is one of the most underappreciated players in the NFL. I and mean, the guy wakes up, rolls out of bed, and gives you 90 catches and 1,000 or 1,100 yards every single season. Touchdown upside, not quite there, certainly not as high as Marvin Jones. But for me, Tate is just I mean, the, the price is fair and you can lock him in at that. Uh, we know there's not going to be any sort of uh, problem with the quarterback. Matthew Stafford, I think, equally uh, as underappreciated, certainly uh, from a fantasy perspective. And I think from a real life perspective, too, as being a pretty steady hand under center, he had that you know, reputation as being sort of a reckless guy from his career. And he's shed that in his actual play, but hasn't been able to shed it in, you know, sort of the public consciousness. Uh, but I think that with with him under center and with Colton Tate being this just rock solid 90 catch, thousand yards, no doubt about it, pretty consistent from week to week too. Uh, for me, I love locking in a player like that. Whereas uh, you know, I'll admit that Marvin Jones has higher touchdown upside, which probably gives him higher Full-on fantasy upside, but no doubt about what Golden Tate's giving you this season. I love him. I'm with you. Uh,
1: I think they're pretty close. Any sort of PPR component, I think, starts to tilt the balance in Tate's favor. And I think one thing that worries me a little bit about Jones is that, you know, a Kenny Galladay breakout potentially harms Jones, I think, a lot more than it hurts Tate. Oh, yeah. You know, maybe with no viable tight end there, there's room for all three to produce, but I I do feel, I think, the safest with tape. Let's move down to Miami. Devontae Parker or Kenny Stills? Uh,
0: (laughs) So I was one of the many people over the last couple of years beating the Devontae Parker drum. No, no, no. This this is it. I know it didn't happen last year, but this is the year, and I'm done with that. Uh, At least Kenny Stills has shown us that he can pretty much hit What his uh, potential is, he can get to his ceiling. It's not a huge ceiling. It's certainly not as big as what Parker's is. But, you know, we sort of got to trust what these two guys are. We're not talking about guys who are necessarily young in their careers any longer. So I think we should trust what we've seen from them, especially since I don't think we should have huge expectation for really major growth for that offense as a whole. In Miami, I think that could be a bottom-barrel team and a bottom-barrel offense. So I'll sort of take the guarantee that I feel like I have in Kenny Stills rather than the just simmering disappointment that I feel like is coming with Devontae Parker.
1: That's very fair. So I think at current uh, cost, I would rather have Stills. But if the cost were the same, oh man, I think I'd be willing to take one last... Ride of Devonte Parker bandwagon. Uh, you know, not that I'm wildly excited about him after the disappointment we've endured with him so far, but I think two big things that were sort of working against him. I mean, he's never really played with uh, a high-end quarterback, and I guess he still won't be with Ryan Tannehill. But I think Tannehill is going to be an upgrade over 2017 Jay Cutler at the very least. And the other. Whoa. Whoa, bitch. I don't know about that. <laughs> and the other thing is just that I think goal, um, Jarvis Landry sucked so much oxygen out of the uh, passing game in Miami and uh, just demanded so many targets. That so with him gone, I mean, and I really think that's what makes both of these guys interesting. But, uh, you know, with all these potential extra targets to go around. And, you know, if, if Parker can just stay fully healthy, um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to take one more ride, assuming the price stays reasonable, if not discounted. So
0: Landry, the Landry point's a good one. The Landry point, I think, is certainly well taken. And I think it will work to both of their favors. Uh, I, I just, like I said, Stills feels like much more of a like you're, you're getting what you expect out of Stills. I think that's safe. I think he still isn't going to break the bank for you, but you know what you're getting out of him, and Parker could be a, an actual zero. True. And so that's why I like feels a little better.
1: Moving out west, Pierre Garçon or Marquise Goodwin?
0: No knock on uh, Marquise Goodwin, but for me, this is Pierre Garçon pretty easily. Um, I love Pierre Garçon this season. I think he could be one of these receivers who, uh, you know, he's been around forever Even when he was, you know, at at, uh, the perceived height of his powers, he was sort of boring, uh, effective, but boring. Uh, No one's really ever excited to take him. He's, you know, what can be he's in his early 30s. He can be 32 years old at the start of the season. Uh, Eight games only played last year. So people are sort of forgetting about him. I think he could be a huge payoff. I mean, eight games pre-Jimmy Garoppolo. And 500 yards, didn't score a touchdown. But, I mean, I don't think we're going to hold that against anyone in San Francisco before Jimmy Garoppolo uh, got there. And now he gets this just completely different offense. And really a completely different quarterback than he's seen in a long time. And, I mean, you go back to those last years that he shared with Kirk Cousins in Washington, 2016 specifically, 79 grabs, 1,041 yards, just three touchdowns. But I think that's more the player that Pierre Garçon can be with a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo. And if Garoppolo uh, does end up taking even another major step forward, I I think we could see Pierre Garçon really put up some big numbers. I like Marquise Goodwin as well. And if I miss out on Garçon, I'll happily take uh, Goodwin at ADP because I think there's a lot of good ways to get invested in the San Francisco offense. But I really think at what about wide receiver 30 or so in ADP that Pierre Garçon has some major payoff potential.
1: I do agree. I think there's almost sneaky Larry Fitzgerald type potential with just high targets, high receptions, low yards per catch, and you know maybe only six or seven touchdowns. But if you're getting close to 100 grads, you're not going to complain too much about a modest touchdown count. All right, one last one. Alan Hearns or Michael Gallup? <laughs>
0: You know, fantasy to me is sort of the opposite of, uh, like you take the devil you know over the devil you don't. Uh, when the devil you know isn't all that great, I- I'll ride with the devil I don't. So I'll take Michael Gallup here, thinking that there's more upside and a little bit cheaper of a price tag.
1: Yeah, I'm still sorting this one out personally. I mean, I'm, t- I tend to side with the veteran on, on, on this one, but I would like to see Michael Gallup, uh, you know, get a couple of preseason games in before I'm put to the test on this one. Uh, and, and I do kind of want to invest a late round pick in a lot of leagues, like just one on either of these guys, because I think there, you know, there has to be someone in Dallas who's going to wind up with 60 or 70 catches, and you're going to get one of these guys really late in drafts. So uh, I'm intrigued by the situation overall. But- Real quickly, looking at your tight end rankings, I see you have Jordan Reed at tight end fifteen. Uh, remarkably, there's been a lot of chatter about Reed being worth the risk in the middle rounds of drafts, uh, despite his you know constant battles with injuries. I take it you're not on board with that sentiment and just think he's too much of a risk.
0: Yeah, I really do. I mean, it's just and uh, you know we we know what he can be when he's healthy, but has always been few and far between stretches in his career, and it is becoming fewer and farther between in his career and. You're not really, I mean, you're getting, you of course are getting a discount on him. Uh, If he had been healthy his entire career, he would be in that Gronk, Kelsey, Ertz tier. So of course you're getting a discount, but it's not like you're getting an extreme discount on him. And we talked about sort of the softness of the back end of the tight end one class a little earlier, but it's not like these are hopeless guys. And, And, you see him go off of uh, the board before Delaney Walker, before uh, Jack Doyle, who could be interesting again if Andrew Luck is back to full health, Kyle Rudolph in that Minnesota offense, George Kittle, another way to get invested in San Francisco. I mean, these are guys to have, you have good reason to believe in, in these guys coming through, and, and I just can't take Jordan Reed with all the injury history over guys like that, even knowing full well what he can be if he gives you even just 10 games this season.
1: There aren't many guys in the league that I am going to assume an injury for. Jordan Reed is the one guy in the league I'm going to assume there's an injury just around the corner. I mean, the concussion, if if it wasn't with the concussion risk introduced, maybe I'd be willing to gamble that knee, ankle, uh, shoulder, everything else stays intact. But with the concussion history, like I'm just not willing to spend any sort of draft capital and I know mid-round pick ninth tenth round like suddenly you start feeling a little bit more confident about taking that risk but I'm just not going to do it. there's still players uh I'm very interested in at that point so all right Beller our friendship has so far managed to survive the fact that you are a Chicago Cubs fan and I'm a Milwaukee Brewers fan And uh, it's been quite a year, quite a spring and summer for that rivalry so far. Uh, Head-to-head, the Cubs have just been beating the hell out of the Brewers this season. And yet, the Brewers are one game ahead as we record this. So my question for you, Bell, are actually three. Do the Brewers have any chance to win
0: the division? I think definitely. Um, I think they have a better chance to win this year than I felt like they did at any point last year. And they were in first much deeper in the season last year uh, than they are right now. But uh, I think this is a, a really dangerous team. I think it's a really good offense. Uh, I think it's a team that learned some of last year's lessons well um, and has certainly upgraded. I mean, even if you if you account for Domingo Santana falling off a cliff this year with what you're getting out of Lorenzo Kane, who should be back from the DL shortly, Christian Yelich, Jesus Aguilar, uh, certainly the offense is better this year, more dangerous, more well-rounded, fewer holes than it was last season. So I think it's definitely a team uh, that where its offense can carry it. They need an arm. And especially with Jimmy Nelson sort of looking a little dodgy, they absolutely need to go out and get an arm. And I have more confidence and more belief that the this front office, after whiffing last year and after coming so close and falling short and then not really doing anything meaningful with the rotation in the offseason – uh, I think that they will be urgent about going out and getting that arm. Uh, even if it's someone, you know, to and Syndergaard are sort of the, uh, the, the prize pigs, uh, whether they're available, uh, remains to be seen. But even if it's just someone like Jay Happ from Toronto, I think they have to go out. Yeah. Chris Archer, someone like that. I think they got to get an arm. I think they will get an arm. And I think once they do that, they become even more dangerous, uh, As a Cubs fan, I am definitely not taking this team lightly. Yeah, I do think the Brewers are going to make some sort of move in the trade
1: market before the deadline. But I also know that the Cubs are probably going to make a move. And, you know, knowing the Cubs probably a bigger one than the Brewers. Uh, (laughs) So, okay, one more question. A lot
0: of Cubs fans seem to be down on Joe Madden this year. Are you down on him? Down would be a little extreme. Um, The one thing where I think he is excellent, and I think it's the most important thing for a manager, is what we don't see. Uh, the way he handles the clubhouse, what he is behind the scenes, what he is to the players behind the scenes, uh, the way that he sort of manages a very versatile, very deep roster and gets everyone playing time without taking too much out of any one player, without uh, you know burning anyone out. I think he is undeniably great at that and that that's the most important thing. Uh, I agree with uh, a lot of the uh, head scratch uh, the complaints about some head scratching bullpen moves about bullpen usage in in general, about maybe having too quick of a hook on some of his starters. I do think that uh, there are some justifiable complaints there, but to me that is making a a mountain out of a molehill compared with everything else that he does uh, for the team, for the roster uh, and and for each individual player. So I I think that uh, while some of those are, Uh, well-taken questions about uh, his in-game management. Everything else he does uh, is really contributing positively to uh, what this team is.
1: Yeah, given the Cubs' history, it's hard to think that their fans could ever become jaded. But, you know, (laughs) some of the complaints you hear amongst Cubs fans now when the team is still like on a 94-95 win pace and has, you know, these last couple of years always finished better than uh, they've started. So, I don't think they have too much to worry about, uh, you know, if, if the Brewers can somehow pass them and win the division, that would be great, but even if they don't, the Cubs are at least, at the very least, going to get a wild card, and I would still say they are about an 80% favorite to win the division. Uh, Mr. Beller, it's been a pleasure. This is just like old times when we had our podcast on SI.com two years ago. It's always great to talk to you, my friends, and... Um, one more time, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you give people your Twitter handle and uh, let them know where they can find you online?
0: Yeah, it's uh, Twitter. You can get me at m. Beller, That's B-E-L-L-E-R. And uh, all of our stuff on SI.com, SI.com slash fantasy. Uh, we're on MMQB this year, too. You're going to see more fantasy on MMQB than you've seen in years past, uh, follow the MMQB on Twitter. Follow uh, SI underscore fantasy on Twitter. we we'll to be putting out a ton of stuff. Uh, four for four football, we're running our partnership back with them as well this season. Uh, those guys do excellent work. Uh, you're going to be seeing plenty of them on our channels as well. And Fitz, awesome to talk to you again too, my friend. We'll have to do this during the season so we can, you know, I mean, Badgers are going to be pretty good this year, Fitz. We're going to have to get some Badger talking at some point.
1: Oh, I think so, Beller. (laughs) I'm going to have to have you on in October just so we can talk more Badgers.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Yes. Well, all right. Be well, my friend. We will talk again soon. And, folks, that is a wrap. Thanks again for joining us. You can find me online at Fitz underscore FF. And please... Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Rate and review us. I would very much appreciate it. I want to thank my producer, Mr. Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter, at Overtime Ireland. I want to thank Melissa Jacobs, a.k.a. The Football Girl, at The Football Girl, who hosts this podcast and has provided so much support as my colleague over on thefootballgirl.com. And that is it, folks. We'll be back with another show next week. Thank you very much and enjoy your 4th of July holiday if you happen to be listening to this on Independence Day. Take care, everyone.
0: Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and treats crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs and more in minutes. FTX, ShoHazen, are you?